listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Welcome to this latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. We're continuing our studies in Paul's letter to Timothy, that first letter, and we're working our way through steadily through the chapters, and today we come to chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let me read to you from the verse number 1. This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Amen. We look to God again to bless his word, and let's bow together in a word of prayer as we ask for God's help in the study today. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the book that reveals your will for us as individuals and also for the Church of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you'd guide our hearts and our minds as we study these things today. Help us to form and govern our lives according to thy word. And so bless the word to all who will hear in Jesus' name. Amen. It is God himself who has instituted the form of church government. Church government is not a, a very trendy subject today. Uh, there are some who would uh, think such a matter ought not to be given much attention in a Bible study program such as this. But in the will of God, when a soul is saved, they are brought into a body. The church invisible is a body, a building, and the visible church, local churches, are to manifest that living unity and that living reality. The souls who were saved in the book of Acts were then added to the church of Christ. It is clear that as Christ gives himself on the cross, as he sheds his blood for sinners, he is said to love the church, giving himself for the church. And so it is the purpose of God to save souls and to bring them into fellowship together as they fellowship with one another and also fellowship with God in the worship of his name. It is the will of God for his children to be part of local churches and we'll see that subject being revealed today. In 1 Timothy 3, in this first of the pastoral epistles, Paul is giving Timothy some clear instruction regarding the work of the bishop or the elder. And as we begin this subject, let me note to begin with that the offices that God has ordained are two. God has ordained two offices for his church. 
the office of the elder and the office of the deacon. Good government is pleasing to God. It is God who has revealed in his word the form of church government that is for the benefit and the well-being of the people. Good government actually predates the New Testament, for we see the function of the elder in the Old Testament to guide, direct, to judge and help the people of God. These pastor epistles written to Timothy and also to Titus are written quite late in the history of the apostolic church and they only set out qualifications for two offices. I think this indicates, along with other things, that the office of the apostle and the prophet has ceased. And so as Paul writes to Timothy, he gives him instructions for the qualifications of those who will serve as elders and those who will serve as deacons. And so we're thinking of these two offices that are to make up the oversight of the New Testament church. There is the office of bishop or elder or pastor. Uh, that is my understanding of the terms that are used in the New Testament. These are synonymous terms. There are several occasions when these terms are used interchangeably. The word bishop or elder or pastor. The word bishop that speaks of an overseer. and Sometimes the word oversight is used. The elder, uh, we would often uh, think of the presbyter from which we get our term Presbyterian, and then the pastor, the shepherd, and then the verb that is used there is sometimes the verb to feed or to shepherd the people of God. Those terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. And then to these elders he says, Feed the flock of God, and there he's using the verb form for the shepherd. Feed the flock of God, uh, and then he says, taking the oversight thereof. And the word oversight is the verb form, or the, and the word oversight there is derived from the word for the bishop. So you see in this text, elder, pastor, and overseer are all used together in those two verses in First Peter chapter 5. You also have Titus chapter 1 and verse number 5 where Paul says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanton, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. And having given that instruction, he then says, For a bishop must be blameless. So here you see Paul using the term bishop and elder interchangeably within the very same context. But perhaps the clearest example of this is in Acts chapter 20, where Paul from Miletus sends to Ephesus and calls the elders of the church. And to those elders, he says to them in verse number 28 of Acts 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. So the elders are made overseers or bishops, and as elders and overseers, it is their duty to feed the church of God. And so you see how these three terms are used interchangeably. The bishop is the elder, is the pastor. The pastor is the elder, is the bishop. And from these terms, we see the function of this office in the New Testament church. It is the duty of the elder 
bishop, pastor, to shepherd the flock, to guide the people of God into pastures whereby they can feed for the nourishment of their souls. It is the duty of the shepherd to protect from wolves. We have that very theme in Acts chapter 20. They are to guard the church, to watch over the church, not only to feed them, but also to protect them from the wolves and from those teachers of false doctrine that creep in unawares. It's also, of course, then the duty of the pastor, elder and bishop to oversee the people of God. They are to watch. That's the sense of the word. They're to watch for danger. They're to watch for illness in the flock. They, they are to be keen of eye that they would identify troubles amongst the people of God. And having identified those troubles, they would then seek to, uh, to help and to support people in the midst of their trials. And so this role of bishop, elder, pastor, they are to shepherd, they are to oversee, and they are also to rule. It says here in First Timothy chapter 3, If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Here we see the sense of ruling and taking care being used interchangeably. But it is the, the duty of the elder to, to govern and to rule and to direct the affairs of the people of God. When you think of all of these terms, there is a very important implication for you who may be listening today. When the Lord has instituted such an office, the shepherd, the bishop, the overseer, or the pastor, the ruler, the elder, when the Lord has instituted such an office, it presumes and assumes that God's people will voluntarily submit themselves under the authority and care of men that they appoint. This role of the pastor elder presumes what we might term church or communicant membership. That term, again, is often misunderstood. The church is not a a social club whereby you pay your yearly annual fee or a social club whereby you're, you're part of a societal body. Church membership is a voluntary but tangible expression of submission to God's ordained order. Hebrews chapter 13 says that we are to obey them that have the rule over us. We are to submit ourselves. And why? For they watch for our souls as they that must give an account. And so the role of the pastor elder is to watch for the souls of the flock. And as the flock come under the care of such a pastor, they voluntarily submit themselves to that care and to that authority. There is certainly a danger with the individualism of our present society that people would undervalue the benefit and the responsibility of being part of a local church. But in this text we see uh, that this is a very important part of Christian living, that when we're saved by God's grace, uh, we put ourselves under the authority of a local church oversight, and that is for our spiritual good, and that is for the benefit of our souls. So there is the role of the pastor, elder, and there's also the role that, or the office of the deacon. That's mentioned uh, later on in this chapter. We read down to the verse number 8. Likewise must the deacons. This comes just after the elder. And the wording suggests that this was indeed a second office in the church. 
Verse 10 says, And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon. And so as the bishop was to meet certain qualifications, and so the deacon also was to meet qualifications, indicating again that this was a, an established office and function in the church. And I will say more of this in future studies when we come to look at the role of the deacon in particular. There is an important principle that must be noted before we go on. Christ himself, the one who loves us and gave himself for us, is the one who has instituted orderly church government because he cares for his church. We know him as the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And he cares for his church, giving his life for the church. But that care continues. First Peter chapter 2 says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Here Christ takes to himself the terms shepherd and bishop, or pastor and overseer. It implies that Christ continues to care for his church, but he does so by entrusting his church into the care of under-bishops and under-shepherds. Church membership in many ways is trusting Christ to take care for you through his appointed servants. What a blessing it is to know that Christ cares for us. And he cares for us by placing us under the care of pastors who care for our souls and for our well-being. Are you enjoying such care in your Christian life? If you're a believer today listening to my voice, I'm asking you a very direct question. Are you enjoying the care that comes from being part of a biblically ordered church? If not, I encourage you to seek that out immediately and do, with the help of God, place yourself under under an authority, under a, a church leadership that will care for your soul and continually point you to Christ Jesus. And so in this third chapter, we, we note the offices that God has ordained. In the second place, let's note the men that God appoints. Here we are seeing a list of qualifications. A bishop then must be blameless, and a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, etc. We're looking here at the role of certain individuals who would be appointed into the role in the church. We're looking at this matter of appointment. But in that matter of appointment, there is a sense of compulsion within the man. Listen to what it says in verse 1. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now this desire is placed of God, and there is this aspect of calling, not that men desire self-promotion, but it is a real work of God whereby a man with reluctance perceives God working in his life and putting him into this office. It is good. It is noble. Godly men should strive to be elders in the church of Christ, and not out of selfish ambition, and not out of some uh, political sort of campaign, but willingly offering themselves to serve the church of Christ. It is God who gives such a desire, that compulsion, is placed in their hearts by the Lord. But that compulsion is then confirmed by the church. 
Men may desire prominence, but not be willing to serve. Hence, under God, a man with the desire may not be appointed by the church. The man may feel the burden and the compulsion, but the church will not confirm that desire. They will assess the individual. They will look at these uh, qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also in Titus 1, and they will appoint men as elders over them, having given great consideration to the character and to the conduct of the men. When we read in Titus chapter 1 that Paul exhorts Titus to put these things in order and to ordain elders in every city, we see that the biblical pattern is that there are many elders in each church, not many churches with one elder. And yet these men are are not men who are seeking employment. They're not men who are seeking promotion. They are men who have been raised up of God in the church to serve the church for the well-being of the church. And so we're looking, and we will look in the future at some of these uh, qualifications. But for now, let me make a couple of things clear. These words of 1 Timothy 3 are not given as a job description. They're not given in the sense of, this is how you should serve. Rather, these are the necessary qualities for someone called to serve. They are present prior to ordination. And then, of course, they continue to be present after ordination. I think it's also important to note that these qualifications apply to all Christians, with the exception of teaching. And they are found elsewhere to apply to Christians in a general sense. Hence, the elder is simply to display true Christianity. And thus, as we scan over them, we will see that this is how you should be living in this world. The elder is to be the example of Christ-likeness, the example of godliness given to the church, living before the church in such a way that they would show Christ even through their life. These are qualities we must all strive for. We all ought to strive to be faithful in our marriage, to be vigilant spiritually, to be given to hospitality, to be sober-minded, to be careful regarding addictions, uh, that we are prudent with our money, that we are not uh, contentious and argumentative, but we are gracious and loving to others. These are things that ought to mark every single child of God. These qualities, of course, are not the way in which people are saved. They are the results of grace. And thus, when we think of this, don't think, If I'm more like this, I'll please God and be saved. Rather, as you think about the role of the elder and their qualities, you're you're seeing what grace does in the life of a sinner. That's what elders are. They're sinners saved by grace. And as sinners saved by grace, they are then called to serve and called to serve in this very particular function. They don't cover every area of saving faith and every grace. Uh, But they are a a tremendously uh, challenging summary of the Christian life. These are men of experience. Now, this concept runs through the verses, but verse number 6 explicitly says, Not a novice. And the danger here is pride. Now, these these are saved men. But they are not to be novices, not newly planted, literally. Aye, they've been planted... But time must be given for spiritual maturity. Uh, Just note again that it is God's will that Christians grow and mature. 
there must be that first planting, they must be saved. Uh, but when they're saved, there ought to be roots going down and shoots growing up. This is a part when you think about the role of the elder. There again, showing and manifesting grace causes people to mature, to mature in their knowledge, to mature in their grace. Are you a growing Christian today? Are you more mature than when you first came to faith? Are you more like Christ? Are you more loving to others, more gracious, more discerning of truth and error? These things that mark the elder, they should mark every child of God, and they are, they are men of experience and men of maturity. They're also men of proven testimony. Now we're going to come back in the next program and look at some more details regarding these various qualities. Well, let me just at this point show you that these are men of a proven testimony and of a proven character. It's well said that when it comes to the elder, character is more important than gift. The first qualification sums up all of them, that the bishop then must be blameless. Now that word does not indicate sinlessness. No man is sinless before the coming of Christ, but rather this man, he is to be above reproach. But no one can point the finger at some obvious sin. They are men who are worthy of respect, but also men who are living parables of Christian conduct. I've said already, these are, these are Christ-like men. William Cooper was the uh, hymn writer uh, living in the same time, in the same era uh, as men such as John Newton and Whitfield, George Whitfield and also John Wesley. Cooper, writing about Whitfield, said this, Whitfield was assailed by scandal and by strife. His only answer was a blameless life. Such a life is possible and necessary. It is a wonder of God's mercy and a wonder of God's grace that he changes souls and gives us by his Spirit the ability to live for him in a fallen world so that we can be above the reproach of others, that we can stand for truth and righteousness. And though we be hated and though we be despised, they cannot accuse us of having committed sin in the presence of others. There is this matter of living a life above reproach. We know it comes by the grace of God. We know it comes by the power of God in Calvary. As Christ died for our sins, he died that we might be forgiven. And yes, he died to make us good. He died that we would know the freedom of the guilt of sin. But also he died that we would know deliverance from the power of sin. So that sin does not have dominion over us. But that we are those who are living under grace. And the grace of God enables us to live a life that is pleasing in God's sight. And so as I finish this program for today, we just began to think about this subject of the elder of the church. But let me tell you again, these men are saved men. It's a terrible thing when men are raised into roles of leadership in the church, but they do not know the Lord. They're raised into this role because they have some prominence in society, or perhaps they're, they're wealthy and they're established in the things of the world. And such men are looked upon as having administrative gifts or financial backing for a church, and thus they're, they're given a role of leadership. 
But what the church needs above all is humble men who love Christ and want to live for Christ and be like Christ. And that must be a desire for all of us. That our churches are being governed by those who love our souls. And that our churches are being governed by those who love Christ and want to make Christ known to us. And by Christ's grace that Christ will be formed in us all. And so we're dealing with a very important subject. It is the matter of church government, that government that is the will of Christ for his church. Let us never despise such a topic, but maybe value it because it is the will of Christ that his children do well when they're brought together in churches that own his name. So let me close uh, with prayer. Let me pray for you today uh, that you would know the grace of Christ in your life and that your churches would also then be marked by such a biblically ordered life and practice. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we come before thee again and we thank you for this time around the word of God to consider these important matters and we pray that you'd give help to all those who are listening that they would be careful in their understanding of the word of God and that as they would carefully consider these things they would submit themselves to biblically ordered churches And they'd submit themselves under the care of pastors and overseers who would love them and love them for Christ's sake. Oh, Lord, we pray that your word would go forth. And for some, oh, Lord, and they're listening and they're not saved. And these things are all very, very strange in their ears. I pray, oh, Lord, that you'd cause them to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they come to love the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would then come to love all who also love Christ. And they'd be brought into this unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that unity that is a foreshadowing of the unity that will be enjoyed in heaven when the saints are all together around the throne of the Lamb that was slain. And so encourage our hearts, we pray today, and bless our souls that all things will be done for the honour and glory of Christ's name. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.